Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Sam Blake, and this is Behind the Bestseller. We're here to unlock the secrets of what makes a best-selling book. I'm a writer, a crime writer, and in this series, we meet a lot of writers to find out what makes them tick and how they work. I'm really interested in what actually goes into those books um, to make them hit the bestseller list. My guest today is a non-fiction author whose book, Mother Folklore, Dispatches from a Not-So-Dead Language, has taken the bookshops by storm. Behind the bestseller is all about finding out what makes that book hit the charts. So, Dara Shay, what happened to you? Well, I was very lucky that I wrote a book called Mother Folklore, Dispatches from a Not-So-Dead Language, and it did hit the bestseller list on its first week. And I think a huge part of that, in addition to the wonderful uh, press push in, in Ireland and the UK from my publisher and their, and their partners here, was the goodwill that had been generated for, for the book because of the social networking that the Twitter account is associated with, which was the Irish Four. Which is actually how I came across you in the first instance, wasn't it? That is indeed, yeah. Fantastic. For anybody who is out there and who wants to know anything about language or just has a curiosity for words, the Irish Four is an amazing Twitter account. Um, Just tell us a little bit about that to start with. Yeah, the Irish Four is a Twitter account I set up in early 2015, so it's come, coming on, coming on its fifth birthday, and it was it was something there was a there was a Twitter account called the German Four, which I really enjoyed, and I had been wondering if something like that could work with Irish, and it was around the same time I was um, I was interested, I was getting more interested in Irish language. I was, I, my dad, who is a fluent speaker, he was uh, wasn't was wasn't as well as he had been, and I wanted to know, I wanted to know like like most. Uh, like most male Irish writers, I have a weird, quiet relationship with my father. I've always had, and I wanted to know kind of what made him tick, and I wanted to know why Irish mattered so much to him. I, he spoke many languages, but Irish was his favourite, and I always wanted to know why a guy, a guy with conversational Arabic and some Japanese and some as well as French and Latin, me. loved Irish above all others. Mm-hmm. And so I, got, I started dipping my toe back in. This is around shortly after I got married, and. We'd had an Irish, one of the readings we'd had was an Irish, and my dad also, around this time, also was unable to make a speech. He wasn't well enough, so I was I was kind of conscious that, you know, if I had big, meaningful conversations to have with him, I only had a few months left, or yeah. maybe possibly years, I didn't know, as, as it happened, it was months. But so those were important months. They really were, yeah. and then it was, and it just came up to the fact I was, I was, I was dig, dig into kind of some Irish language material that was available online or offline, and I just used as a starting point in a conversation from him, and I just found that there was huge stories and beautiful meanings behind some of these words. And that's really what's fascinating, isn't it? I suppose mm. I'm an English person, and I came across this. Um, 
although I've been living here for 25 years and mm. I've been learning Irish to a certain extent through my children, learning Irish in school, yeah. I just I found that the revelation of the words that you chose and their meanings, and mm. there are a lot of words that don't translate into English. Yes. Um, and then words that have, and so words that have the most amazing, incredible meanings um, in Irish that are just specific to the language. And that's what's just so exciting about it. Yeah, it really is. And and I just found that I, these are too good to keep to myself. And I just set up a Twitter account to start sharing them. I used the, the phrase the Irish for because it was similar to the German for, which mm. was 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 kind of my, my Twitter role model. At the time, it quickly became bigger than that, which is, which is interesting. And uh, I don't think that account is even in use anymore. But the... There's more Irish people out there than there are Germans, obviously. Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> the diaspora, the famous diaspora. Who knew? And, th- and this was the big thing. I, I found that just this moment in the, roughly in the middle of the decade we've been having it, uh, there was, I found obviously social media was, was was happening differently in Ireland than it was happening elsewhere. Probably it seemed to represent, because, um, I guess for, for so many previous generations in Ireland, when people left, when we had to emigrate, they were no longer part of the national conversation. Mm. And now suddenly they were. And all these things were happening as we saw in the next, in the few decade in the few years after that things were happening in the national conversation that were in in a way because immigrants weren't being excluded anymore absolutely and a huge part of that and i found people found that the irish language connected to their homesickness to the familiarity whether it was sharing stories about mispronounced names yeah or and, or, those. and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm the worst because i always get your name wrong <laughs> it's you know i think we appreciate that first you know if someone's having a, having an honest stab it's i think mm-hmm. when people kind of um maybe enjoy getting it wrong too much that's when uh, and that's all, yeah it's bad manners mm-hmm. but the but so it seems that the the, the the Irish Four got some media attention fairly quickly and quicker than I was expected. Within about three months, I think the Daily Edge had written a piece about it. Mm. Then shortly after that, Joe.e wrote a piece about it. And then I found it was beginning to get, it was... Like, getting real was, traction. Yeah, getting a bit of traction. It was mm. getting traction, things like BuzzFeed and things like that. And as time went on and as the months went on, uh, people said, you know, you probably, you're creating a lot of content for free that you don't technically own that anyone else could just use and you'd feel like a right agent if someone else wrote a book with your stuff with your research. And, <laughs> that is a very good point actually. And it was and yeah. I, I did think because I think there was um, there because there were I suppose there were, I was aware that yes I, you don't own the translation or word and it, it made me I suppose it did make me think that yes that's I actually do have permission to explain in my own mm. words what a word means instead of just giving the a literal dictionary definition which yeah. sometimes had and mm. I found that say sometimes you can make an observation in it sometimes it can be topical. Well, it was the humour I think in the in the yeah. thing that you brought to it and that's something that was unique and is your unique voice and mm. although yes other people could have taken that content and done something with it what you did with it in the book. Um, and you do it on the feed mm-hmm. um, is is bring that element of humour and uh, it's just a wonderful feed because it honestly had me laughing laughing out loud and I think mm. that that is what you brought to the book in the end. I think so. Thank you very much. It's great to hear that. And as it has happened, I'd always wanted to be a writer. I had um, I'd done English and, and history of art in university. Mm. Uh, I'd, I'd written a play in my first year in college, and and that was a, that was a hard business to get to. I'd, I'd, I'd had a, a couple of um, manuscripts. You know, I, I'd gotten I'd gotten into you know over hundred pages, and I thought they were going somewhere, and they weren't, or they were. And we've it, all been there. Yeah, we've <laughs> all been there, and you know, and I think it's important to to actually get to that stage, to actually put that much work into something and still be able to say, yes, this isn't working, I need to abandon the whole thing, as opposed to just chipping away. Very, very true. And a really mm-hmm. good point, actually. I think it's that finding your voice thing and, and yeah, proving to yourself that you can do it, and but also understanding mm-hmm. what you're doing. Exactly. And I think, and, and some people think, yeah, that they, 
that a novel is what they have to write if they want to be a writer. And mm. there are other ways of going about it. There's Many some, other ways. And it is. And since that's something we do get into it because it's mm. a, I was talking with other nonfiction writers and that nonfiction writers never get asked about the writing process the way fiction writers do. Oh, even though well, we're going to re- rectify we, that right we, now. Certainly well, yeah. <laughs> I think it's very interesting. There's two things you say there about um, feeding out through the Twitter feed is, was connecting people. I think the thing that social media does is create mm. connections. And you were able to connect people the, the famous diaspora. When you work in publishing, I get an awful lot of submissions and hear an awful lot of people talking about, oh, this book will be great for Irish people in America. And there's yeah. this sense that the diaspora are going to go running out and buy, because you're Irish, are going to go dashing out to buy your book. And in fact, that actually doesn't happen. But in your case, it did, because you did have this bond and you mm-hmm. bought this thing out. It did, and I think it, was, it got picked up in, in, in some of that. I think the idea, because it was related to the Irish language and mm. there was... And Ireland was kind of there was there was did the the way Ireland was being spoken about was just changing a little bit, and so it did actually it got a little bit of attention uh, in in some of those in some of those diaspora minded international publications, but also some of the general ones as well. Mm. It's very exciting. I think yeah, it's it's that connection, it's that sense mm. of understanding the language. But as I say, it was the humour that you brought to it that really mm. made it really different. And that was a big thing. I think the mm. fact that people it, it was the big thing was I wanted to say this you need to be this needs to be good enough that a person with you know fluent Irish can say yes this is solid this is a solid translation this is mm. acceptable but also that person no Irish at all can say I can just enjoy this the way there's a, there's a wonderful um, I twit, um, Instagram account called Every Single Word in Icelandic and I don't speak any Icelandic but I love that account oh, that's fantastic the, because the way it explains what the words means I think the um, I think echoes in Icelandic it literally, literally translates as mountain language Wow, and there's one. Is I don't know if it's Icelandic. There's one language that has like 42 words for snow. Perhaps that's Alaskan or something. I think it's. I think it's one of the Inuit languages. Yeah. I think they. Uh, the number keeps changing because I think the initial people who came up with that theory they they weren't differentiating between the different dialects in Ooh, different goodness. parts. So, so there's even more. So yeah, so it's probably either more or less depending on which, which, which one you're picking. You which yeah, but they definitely lots of words for snow. Um, diff- the concept of weather is something also that is represented differently because in a place where it's always snowing, the idea of weather. As opposed to snow is a um, is a concept that isn't always incorporated in the language. It's fascinating. I think as wordsmiths, and hopefully everybody listening to this is is interested in bestselling and isn't interested in writing, obviously. Mm. Um, but they're all wordsmiths, and it's that understanding of language, and that, I think that's what, which brings me to my next question, because that's what you bring to to the picnic. That's what it's that level that you can that somebody who is a fluent speaker can read it and understand it and somebody like me who is about four words of Irish mm. can read it and really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but it's that expertise and that is the key with nonfiction, isn't it? It is being mm. an expert within your area, although you probably might not say that you're an expert at yeah. the time, you definitely mm. are. Um, <laughs> but it's that it's bringing that level of knowledge and understanding to the book mm. that really makes a difference. Well, I, I think it was, and one of the big thing I found was as I started actually writing the book beyond just the business of the the actual seeing which tweets were worth including and how to include them in in lists or in paragraphs or mm. not. Um, it did occur to me that the Irish language connected an awful lot of things that I was also very interested in between poetry and history and also politics and law and mm. things like that. There was a there's an Irish language aspect to how these things existed in Ireland and the and got to some of the key questions about things and that just that's so that all opened up while I was actually writing the book. Which is fascinating. So it's so it's not just a book about language. It digs much deeper than that. It digs yeah. really into the Irish psyche, doesn't it, I think? I think so. I mean, I, I certainly tried to go that way. I, I found that by... Um, it, I figured out that rather than just trying to write a dictionary, and there are some nice dictionaries out there that do a wonderful job, I wanted to actually incorporate my own journey with Irish into the actual... as, as, the, as the narrative that the book hangs around. Mm. So and it, 
Go yeah. on. Sorry, I was going to say, and it's a living language, isn't it? And that's yeah. what you bring to it's that sense of the fact that it, it is living and that the, these words mean something for a reason. Very much so. And you do get that. You see that straight away that people do want to know what the Irish words for new things are. And when there's a when there's any kind of a movement happening, you find people say people do want an Irish language aspect to the the slogan or the hashtag or whatever is going associated with it. That happens almost immediately. That's fascinating. Very interesting. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned there a little bit about structure. Yes. It's all very well for this. My phone going off again in the background. So all, throughout <laughs> all of these podcasts, my phone goes off because I seem to be incapable of turning it off. Um, <laughs> but you talk there a little bit about structure. And that's really interesting because you say, oh, yes, a book about Irish language and we've got the Twitter feed. And so it would be very easy for you just to have copied and pasted all those tweets and popped them into a book and and bundled it up and sent it out. But in fact, you did a lot more than that. And the book, in fact, tells, as you mentioned, your story through Irish. Mm. Um, But it also then has a structure of its own. So talk to me a little bit about the process that went into, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of messing around and trying and failing and fiddling around. What what? What brought you to that particular structure? I was thinking, I suppose, it, it, it came to the fact that when people asked me why I was interested in Irish, and particularly in the in the early days when I was still, when I wasn't able to present myself as any kind of <clears throat> as any kind of expert or anything like that, I wanted to talk about that people do engage with Irish in, often, it comes down to names in their relationship, but it's connected. It's one of the reasons people, Irish language turns on people's humour is they rem- they have shared memories from school, mm. which, cro- which, is, which crosses class in, in a very interesting way. Uh, and and regardless of their relationship as well, if it, whether they hated Irish in school yeah. or not, it's still it's still a bond, isn't it? Yeah, and and, and I found also the way. At the, so in that sense, I found that there was that there were these shared experiences. People have different experiences of how their parents spoke it. Mm. Particularly in Dublin, a lot of people, um, a lot of people in Dublin who've, whose parents from the country have a have a have a have an experience of how their parents use it. Mm. They're, they're, they are they're con- they are conscious of the difference in how what the Irish means to their parents and what it means to them. And and then I saw there was it's it's funny Irish is a funny place in the in in the class war in Ireland, in terms of some people think Irish is very um, is is Arab East or middle class or that girls goes this way and other people don't think it's the exact opposite like. Yeah. I when I went to school in Gonzaga, which is a, a Jesuit school on the south side, it was very much seen as having an Irish name and your parents were either teachers or civil servants and you know, you know, not from a maybe not not company directors or anything yeah, like that. Goodness me. Yeah. yeah. So, so and it was funny that um, that people have um that the Irish language almost kind of uh, reflects different things to different people. Mm-hmm. So get, then get into the structure. I just I, I sat down and I was looking at, you know, I had a, a big ball of words that I tweeted. I wanted to see which ones what kind of categories they had and I realised the categories would I could fit them loosely around certain things about stories about, about love and politics it occurred to me that was meaningful in twenty in mm. the, the year I was writing to, to do put those together to associate ones we, we know from school to, and ones from secondary school and how, and how those topics come in the Irish college is another kind of unifying um, experience in Ireland as well and how that changes mm. a person's memories of Irish to the ones they have in primary school mm. because it's associated with um I mean, we we do have other kinds of summer camps, but uh, that was that that does seem to be a huge part of people's. I think affection it's it's only like um it's like a coming of age thing, isn't it? The, the, very much it, so. Very, it really isn't, and it's seminal in everybody's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people people do make a connection between the Irish language and their first kiss very often, which is just fascinating <laughs> to me. And maybe that's maybe that that's not something that has happened in maybe some other minority languages that have books talking about them. That's very true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not sure if a book about Icelandic would have that. Would have that same. Angle, indeed. So then yeah, I, I started off writing the introduction, just which is basically talking about myself and my dad. And then I started talking about my journey from primary school to secondary school to 
to to college to work to to becoming becoming a father myself at mm-hmm. the end and then the in the conclusion and I found that the, all these different topics allowed me to focus on the, the, the vocabulary of work is just being kind of one category in the vocabulary of uh, of secondary school. And those particularly the, the really bad memories people have of Irish do come into that late secondary school part, it's particularly the our, our conditional tense, the Mokaniluk, and a, a very maligned woman called Peg Sayers. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so that's, and, and everybody who's ever studied Irish or knows anything about it will know precisely who she is. That's right. <laughs> indeed. But it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating that there's that emotional journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're saying there is, or it's only there, is that, that you actually had a narrative arc within the book. So yeah. although the book is a bit like an excitement, a bit like a dictionary in some ways, mm-hmm. um, there's actually a story that running running through it. And I think that that progress and that narrative arc is vitally important within nonfiction. That you feel that when you're reading it, that actually there's a story there too. Yeah. And it was it was fairly critical as well because I when, when I was I remember when I was speaking to various people my, uh, people I was acquainted with in publishing about the business of turning a um, of of evolving from a social media account to a book mm. quite the, first of all that would create some expectations for a reader but also at the same time um, there had been some done already and there was a there was a kind of a some some social media related books had a kind of a we're in the joke book category almost. Yeah. Uh, like a, maybe a, a book you might have next to the... Um, yeah, it's the, the, in the, the downstairs room. In the this downstairs room. what you're room. looking for. A, a downstairs room, a bathroom <laughs> or something like that. And the and I was I was aware that there was a perception that this book could have... I could have just list, listed out mm. all the tweets on a cheap now new, news, news, newspaper quite quality with a pint of Guinness with a shamrock yeah, out on the cover. It out. Called The Irish mm. Four and... I was talking to a wonderful writer called Lisa McInerney, oh, yeah. mm. uh, who was um, who who I had met at a, when I was volunteering at a book festival, and I would definitely recommend any unpublished authors to uh, give that a go. Very That's good a, advice. Very yeah. good advice. Get into the business. So I, I, I we, we kind of knew each other on, online at the time. She was still writing for the journal, and but it, but she was bringing out her first book, uh, which was a sensation: the the glorious heresies. Absolutely. And I had asked her just um, you know, about a little bit of for one or two pointers. And the thing that she that she said was, you know, that like, um, you know, you, this, the, the publishers will either be looking for you know a book or a writer, and it's and with particularly with when you're dealing with agent stuff, an agent will want to find a writer rather than find a book. Yeah. And this is something that was um, I thought was, was really, really interesting. Gold dust, absolutely brilliant advice. And yeah. as I really thought so, because the the big thing was you, 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 by the time getting writing one book wasn't something I really wanted to do. I wanted to be able to um, still have the credibility to approach with new books uh, yeah. after the fact. And it would have been heartbreaking if I had. Um, been a one book wonder. Been a one book mm. wonder and learnt all this useful information about the publishing industry that I wasn't going to be able to use again. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that has that two really just sort of highlight and mm. reiterate two really useful pieces of advice. There, go to book events, do mm. volunteer if you can, because yes, you're meeting authors, you're meeting publishers, you're meeting agents, you're making connections, you're understanding how the business works, mm. and um, and yeah, that 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 thing uh, that agents are looking for writers, they're not necessarily looking for that one book wonder. Yeah. An awful lot of people have blogs and they have um, Twitter feeds or whatever it is that they're big on social media um, but it's not just writing a book of, of the blog is not just about sticking the blog in a book it is no. about being a writer it's about creating the story and people I think people do know that that the if, if the material is available for free at uh, somewhere else and you're selling it it, it, it 
It's, it's a tricky one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and, and I'm without naming names. There's, there's some, some that, but around the same time that I was getting published, I know that um, two other uh, books that were kind of um, that had been used as social media profile, mm. uh, which were the the complete Ashton mm. books, but also the Blind Boy book, mm. uh, both largely had built a follow up, uh, built a following in advance. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, they built a following in advance from the, from getting a huge amount of goodwill from their social media aspects, but with, and in both cases for a couple of years before the book came out. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. It's, you probably can't. I mean, you can you can do a publicity rush before a book, but really, it's, there's a difference between actually building fans. People think, "Why well, haven't you written a book yet?" Yeah, and, yeah, and it's bedding that thing, that concept mm-hmm. in, isn't it? Yeah, no, certainly those. I mean, those are sensational, huge, um, huge um, books that came out. Mm. Um, but again, they they yeah they'd found their crowd in the same way you had, yeah. um, found their found their audience, um, but then they produced books which again had this narrative arc and and it was about the writing as opposed to just sticking the blog into. I mean, and you say people know, but actually I don't think they do yeah. necessarily because I'm always getting people emailing about um, you know I've got this great big blog and I want to write a book of the blog, but there is this concept that you can put yeah free content in and the people are then going to buy it, which doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I mean people do like to hold a book, mm. and uh, but the thing you do want the people who've been re- who've been following your online kind of activities, uh, whether it's a you want you want them to, to actually be your kind of your primary audience and also, you know and with with any good book your your readers or your sales team yeah absolutely and but what you're doing is building on that aren't you yeah. so you've got your social media platform you've got your blog or your twitter feed but then what you're bringing to the book is the story and you are mm. bringing what you've got out there already to a new level um and and really yeah telling and telling the story um and i think that is exactly what you did and you absolutely nailed it um because it's really interesting to find out more about you behind you do from following the twitter feed mm. you get a sense of you because there is that humor there and some mm. of the quirky the some of the I'm going to ask you some, some, for some examples in a minute for anybody who hasn't had a look at the book, but um, just it, that they're really quirky and they're really cool and um, really, really interesting. So you do get a sense of the personality coming through, but mm. I think that bringing that to the book in a much bigger way and certainly finding out about your father and his fascinating career and mm. his, his, his multilingual ability, which is just incredible, um, really brought a different angle to it. And I think for anybody who is thinking of writing nonfiction um, and is, wants to build on any of these platforms, that's really what they have to look for isn't it they have to yeah. look to, to to bring more to the picnic to bring mm. bring more story and you do find that i think it's and i suppose when you think about something somebody else who, who um uh, paul howard with his russell carroll kelly books mm. obviously there's the, we had his, the, the weekly column which we all know and it is very is very popular years on he's managed to keep it fresh uh, and and he's managed to find new angles to things but in each book there's a there's a kind of a, a key storyline which is completely different which hasn't been shared before yeah. and he knows fine well that it would you know he's, he's earned loyalty up from his readers because they know they're getting more than what they see every week and they still read every week and they still go out and buy those books absolutely in, in their thousands yes thank, thankfully that's just fantastic so just give us an example of um i'm going to put you on the spot now mm-hmm. i'm sure you'll be able to, well able for it um give us some examples of some of the words and some of the translations to people who who haven't followed who are now going to go straight to their phones or probably mm-hmm. they're on their phones already listening to the podcast um and they're going to pick up the feed well, there's one which is uh, which is interesting. Uh, there's a, the, I found some words with a, where a single father changes the meaning of word completely. I love those ones. <laughs> and so there's a, a word, and F A N fan is like to uh, is to stay like fan go back and make or stay for a moment, and fan with a, when you have a father in there is to leave. 
Tillis, so, so there's com- complete opposite. Complete opposite. Um, and fawn is also the root of the Irish word for swallow, the bird, uh, is a fawn log, a little wanderer. See, that's the connection. And yeah, and so swallows leave. And that yeah. to me is the joy of the, the joy of the feed and the joy of the language mm-hmm. is that the, you just, you just, the, the, the connections, it's, it's like a, a composite language, isn't it? It's really building up. Yeah, it really is. And it's, uh, and I think same way that, and sometimes people, you know, when, when, when someone's just called the Irish for, they wonder, is this etymology, is it humour, which, mm. which is it? And you know, why can't it be both? Absolutely. And say the Irish for a country is tear, which sounds like a teardrop. And, you know, and the whole business of countries and running them and to deciding who's in charge mm. leads to many tears. But it's and, that, and leaving that, as well. And leaving, leaving. too. Mm. So I think that and you, I say that, you know, if the, the big problem comes in when you try to pretend that the, the meaning is linked to the joke. Like yeah. there's um there's a theory that the Irish for that Dracula comes from Dracula, which means evil blood. Oh. But it is not substantiated. And I apparently th- thinks, you know, we can we, we should we should still be allowed to have that wordplay. Yes. It doesn't have to once it's the, the sin isn't the wordplay, the sin is pretending it's a it's a factual etymology that Bram Stoker was an Irish speaker who used this and we hoped his mates would get it and never mention it in any of his letters because he, he was so committed to so a clever. joke. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I think and sometimes you think that you know something like that is very witty and deserves to be shared. Mm, absolutely. But in the context of it being, you know, that's uh, being something that's interesting necessary as opposed to a historical fact. And yeah. sometimes there are wonderful facts too though. There's a um, Arach of Rook is from Old Irish, from the kind of medieval Irish, and it was the uh, a fra- the equivalent of phrase for a red herring. It means badger's horns. Oh, yeah. they're so clever. I think some of them they're just mm. it really. I think it gives you a real picture of the language and the way people were speaking and the way people were interrelating. Yeah. Um, and that's and it's very pictorial and it's mm. just yeah, it's amazing. It's a real eye opener as well worth well worth the following. Yeah, I think I think so. There's a, there's some really great visuals there for names mm. for animals, names for creatures, names for ideas, and things like. Excellent, and that's actually, and a a lot of that is in the book. Mm. Um, And I think that's really, I think it's what's made the book interesting. It's what made it have a much, much broader appeal than people who are just Irish speakers. Mm. I think anybody who's interested in linguistics and words, um, it's really reached out to them. Um, And that's really the fundamental of what makes a bestseller. I think so. It definitely is. Um, and just in terms of what you are planning next, having written the one book and um, yes. battled with the structure and got your story in there, uh, what what what's happening next? The next one, I did a sequel to Motherfucker mm-hmm. called Crack Baby, which so instead of this time, I was focusing more on my relationship with my daughter mm-hmm. and the the big hang on there was before she was born we were thinking yes she's going to go to an Irish school, she's going to do this, she's going to do that. Um, shortly after she was born she was diagnosed with Down syndrome and I wanted to and I realised, I suppose, all these um, expectations I had, and and I want to put. I was still talking about language and how how the ideas of language we they contain so much of our expectations about what people are for. Mm. I was thinking about and um, and it was still a struggle. This is all happening while I was, I was in the business of the very early days of writing uh, Motherfucker itself. Mm. I was I was I, in fact the actual the excitement of almost getting published, of meeting publishers, of nearly being there probably helped push me through that time when mm. my, my, my wife didn't have that same kind of thing going on yeah. so she was still we were, we were 
we were grieving for the child we expected. Yeah. While yeah. trying to deal with this child, this wonderful child we had. We, mm. and But dealing with it as couples always do in different ways, yeah. at different yeah. speeds. Mm. That's right. It can be very difficult. It really can. But it's, mm. uh, she's three and a half now. She's, she's uh, going great. She says, yeah, I just had a Christmas concert this morning. She's and gorgeous. Yeah. Oh. I'm, just, I'm just mad about her. But um, so I wanted to talk a little bit there about the ideas of how um, those, the assumptions in language, but and also went in from there talking about things like Hiberno English and and the, how, like, what, what Irish is going to be like when she's when she's when she's a, a child, an adult, a teenager. Yeah. What's what where Irish is going? Very and true, and how it's developing as a language. So that was yeah. that, and that's that's so that was uh, I think um, second books. I think the the publishing cycle is very focused around first books, new authors, yeah. big things. So. Yeah. Selling the second book is hard. Is harder than the first. Promoting it is harder than the first. And um, really is actually because of the the whole that whole sort of excitement and the newness of a book when mm. it's the second book has already been done with the first one, isn't it? So it, it's all uphill. It is, and so and that that is something that I think that a lot of other people have to have an experience, and it is a mm. thing else. And so in that sense, and and there there is a thing that say we my publishers or have organised a very you know. Um, very strong kind of a media campaign for opening in terms of my, the interviews and mm. articles I was going to be doing. And what often happens is in the in both <clears throat> in both the radio and the, the newspaper business is sometimes articles with interviews with authors are on one hand they're great because they're perennial quality quality mm. you can you can put them down at any time as and like as opposed to the, you'll have a certain amount of news stories that are only only matter oh, yeah, today time sensitive yeah, indeed. and then, and what 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 radio producers love is say that the minister has just cancelled and they need a seven minute interview to yep. s- fill that mm-hmm. slot it goes great and they do love that but it also means you're more likely to be bumped that's very true <laughs> and so and also this is also true in the newspaper business when you might have an interview and they can say well it, the interview can come out two weeks after the book no big deal no big deal to them <laughs> makes and a big difference to you as an makes, author makes a difference yeah. to you and then so if they suddenly sell a full page ad you yeah. can yeah you, you might be waiting an extra week or so so yeah. it's um, best laid plans you can find that suddenly you've um, you've Done a lot of interviews. You've written certain some columns. You've done done. You've spoken to people, and then you might find there's actually suddenly um, no coverage at all, which yeah. uh, which can happen in in a, in, in a week. And but then at the same time, having said that, so Crackby didn't have the big opening, but it has sold very strongly. It is the, it's it's the, the head of Zeus did a very similar cover, so people recognise immediately that it's associated with yeah. with mother folklore, and it's so it's um. It's, it's kept it's trying. So, That's, so. And I think the thing about non-fiction is that it's what's called long-tailed, what I call long-tailed, and which mm. means that it will keep trickling along and it'll keep chugging along and it'll keep on going. Whereas with commercial fiction, really a book can have quite a short shelf life mm. and it might only be a couple of months. Um, and then, you know, it'll be, it'll still, might still be in the shops, but it's, unless you're writing perhaps a series um, to keep that book out there, then um, it can be quite short-tailed. So mm. hopefully that, that long-tailedness and the fact that it's, they're not time-sensitive books, they're not going to age, um, that they're just going to keep on selling and chugging along nicely for you. That's what we hope. hope so. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting what you're talking about the marketing there because I think the marketing angle, particularly um, with books, um, is vital. It's vital that people know that the book is there on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this whole concept of in the real world, people need to see things three times before they buy. Yeah. Um, and online, it's 10 or more. Um, so you need to be out there and you need to be everywhere um, really for your book to hit, don't you? Um, yeah. And you're, but you're so right. If there happens to be a an ash cloud or, um, you know, um, a political 
political assassination or anything that can happen mm. um, in the news. And then you, it's very easy to get bumped. So Very much so. And, uh, and that's, there's been a lot of, um, I suppose, yeah, and, and, and I know this year I don't have a, I don't have a new book out this year, mm. um, hopefully soon. But uh, but there was um, but there was, there were a couple of stories that did just dominate the particularly um, celebrity deaths. I'm yeah. thinking of Clive James and Greg Caper and this mm. year because they crossed news and culture yep. in their their spheres. They don't, they took a lot of uh, calm space and, of and now having two books down. I'm always thinking, oh, who, whose review got bumped there? I know. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of it gets because you can put you can put a lot of effort, you can put a lot of money and a lot of time into marketing. Um, but yeah, you are slightly at the peril of the um, of, of what's going on in the world. Um, but it is very interesting what you say there about, and I think you probably have an advantage, certainly with nonfiction, and certainly the, this type of book, um, because when you are writing different articles for different um, magazines and newspapers, and you're mm. expected to do that as part of the sort of marketing process, you've got lots of different angles, so you can make it really quite interesting for the for the various audiences. And did you find that? That, that, is, you able to that do. is the thing, particularly with the second book, I found that there was uh, more publications they wanted me to write something for them instead mm. of instead of um, me be, have, being in, in, being interviewed. Yeah. And you know, and before you, and you, you, and often I think sometimes you think, yes, I want to be interviewed. I want them, them to talk about you know, like Dark O'Shea is, is wearing a cool leather jacket and looks very relaxed <laughs> today. He yeah. nods sadly as I mentioned this to him. You know, but and you, you want to be the star. <laughs> exactly, you want to be the star. Which is, and, and the big thing is, you say, well, how much of how much of my book am I do I give? here and do I write something that's, that's quite a little bit different on yeah. one particular topic or mm. not and then and what what will they jump on what will they bite and so I, I, I did I wrote a couple of things for that and generally they were they were quite well received and those articles particularly yeah, them they can be they can be widely shared which is nice yeah which is great yeah and, so, and I think that's a massive advantage certainly when you're writing fiction um, there's only so many things you can say about a book and I always mm. find it quite difficult to um, come up with different angles for different people because yeah. <laughs> we have we as fiction authors we have to do that too so um, I think that's something for people to be prepared for that um, when whatever your book is, whether it's fiction, whether it's non-fiction, is to be prepared for that day. You are going to have to talk about it. You're going to have to find the hooks and the angles. Um, we always talk about, um, when we're talking about selling books, coming up with that killer pitch. Yeah. Um, I mean, The Irish Four absolutely has the best killer pitch ever, um, Mother Fockler. And the, well, I'm going to ask you about the, the title yes. now. We mustn't forget about that. Um, but it, it really does have a pitch. And so it's an easy hook and people understand exactly what it's about. Um, yeah. And so for anybody listening, um, start thinking about that now, really. So talk, but talk to me about the title. Okay, so <laughs> the title was something that I had. Um, I had. I, I the the kind of uh, the pun was. I've been. I was aware. I I had come up with a while back. I hadn't. I hadn't found a way to incorporate in a tweet or anything like that. When I was when initially I, I didn't want to call the book the Irish Four. Mm. I think it's one thing calling it account that, and calling a book that there's a, there's a different expectation in in terms of its its authority to say you know if you call a book this is you know the Irish Four. People. Yeah. Especially and, with Irish, when there can be many <coughs> different words in different in different areas yeah. for the same thing, yeah. And it's it's funny, even so. And there's there's a difference between how even the authority a sentence carries in speech or mm. in word. Like I remember that some I was re- listening to a documentary recently about Max Martin, the the Swedish songwriter, and he had he had worked out that with the song "Baby One More Time." He said, you know, the lyric is "Hit Me, Baby One More Time," but if you write "Hit Me Down," it it looks yeah. much much worse yeah. than if you just sing it. Yes, and, yes, because then and then. If, if you know, nobody wants to buy a song called Hit Me. No. Well, that's I hope not anyway. No, exactly. and, and yeah, and, and he only found it after he written it and actually that that's he thought it was slang for call me and it wasn't. And it wasn't, yeah. So those, these are the things that you so, don't you don't realise at the yeah. time as a writer. And at that point I thought yeah, the, the context of calling it the the Irish for mm. was not and I, and I I at this point I'd gotten in touch with Sally Ann Sweeney, who is a wonderful Irish agent in London. Indeed, who we have uh, interviewed for this podcast too. 
Yes, you say, yeah, she's just a, 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 a vault of common sense and, and and nerve as well, which is great. And I, we, I saw, talked to her, she was saying what kind of, um, again, and, and she was, when we were in our initial conversation, she wanted to you know, see, was I just want, did I just want to make a, a quick book of a quick book mm-hmm. or did I want to actually be a writer? And I very much wanted to be, wanted to be a writer and I wanted to capture the reverence, but also the end, um, and put the context of the, I wanted to put put the Irish language in a little bit of a pop culture context as yeah. well. And yeah. I thought that that this is a, the appropriate amount of cheekiness was calling it mother folklore and folklore being the Irish word for a dictionary. And <laughs> You'd so, have to know that. <laughs> and then she was, and she said that that's really really clever. Really liked mm. it. She liked it straight away. When I, um, she had some, some, my initial kind of uh, my, my initial extract of a manuscript that was was presented to a number of publishers. Um, yes, uh, as a lot of them bit initially wanted to meet me, and a few of them didn't like it. A few of the Irish-based ones, interestingly enough, thought, mm, "Not sure about this. You, you know, any flexibility in the title yeah. at all?" And as it happened, Head of Zeus, Neil Belton, the publisher, Head of Zeus, the legendary um, indeed, in Head of Zeus, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal career, and and, and like many people. Uh, like many of the amazing people I've written, I've met since I've written books, mm. incredibly modest. Yes, and yes. like I just like I, I, it's 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 it seems to be this recurring theme that the people who I admire most in the business are almost almost the quietest. Yeah, yeah, so self facing. But he said, "Yes, let's run with this motherfucker. Love it." Yeah, uh, that's that's great. And then and then what really what really blew me away was he was like in. Uh, this book, this guy writes really well. He was in his notes, he, and you say there's a, there's a Twitter account as well. <laughs> that's very uh, neat, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I just thought that it, it, it meant so much to me that like, I thought I had almost given up and never getting published. Mm-hmm. And I thought this Twitter account happened, and it was. But he is almost like the he the Twitter account wasn't almost a deciding factor for no, him. No, the book it was the book that that, that he bought because he had no concept of the background. So and that that just uh, and that, that made me think that this is this these. These guys were the right match for me, and yeah. I was absolutely delighted. And then he said, "I like was it just motherfucker?" And and like as it happens in cinema now, a lot of most titles have a little yeah, have, a, have, a, have a colon yeah. and a little tag. Yeah. And then we were saying, "Well, are we going to say?" Uh, I was going to say dispatches from the Irish Four, and he was like, "You know, we don't have to play up the the account connection yeah. if you want to. Yeah. You know, we can." And you know yourself, and at this point, we thought, "Well, is Twitter even going to be a thing in four years' time?" Well, exactly, and you really want to reach out to to new people as well as your. Yeah, Twitter people, mm. and he thought, yeah, there was better not to. And then we, he, um, there's a few. We got some notes back from these, um, the kind of the editors in in, in Ed Hazus who are based in London and Clerkenwell, mm. and they were saying that you know well, we're going to go with um, dispatches from a so-called dead language, dispatches from not quite dead language, and I and then we we went through a couple of these, and I thought, well, I I'm not. I wanted to. Um, I thought not so was was the appropriate pitch yeah. to get this exactly right because yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't like the the. I wasn't initially delighted with the words "dead language" in yeah. there, but Neil thought a little bit of provocation was would was was useful for a mm. bit of controversy. Absolutely. Uh, well, I like it because it's actually it's the little bit of humour in there too mm-hmm. because it is a not so dead language because actually there's loads of people that speak it who are out there yeah. and but they're all speaking speaking it privately and quietly towards between them. I, that's what I interpret mm. it. And so everybody's speaking it quietly and between themselves in a in a very sort of um, covert nearly way. But it's wonderful because it's keeping it alive and keeping it warm. And it really is. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. It's really yeah. And title is so important. But do you know something that that, that you've really hit the nail on the head there? 
Um, and again, this is something for people out there who are listening, having somebody who's passionate about your book. So having Sally Ann approach you. And the, the hilarious thing is that I actually approached you as well, I think, as well at that point. Mm. Um, and I worked very closely with Sally Ann. So I had her completely in mind for this book. And I remember mm. we were ping-ponging backwards and forwards. And then you said, oh, you were talking to Sally Ann. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's exactly where I was <laughs> she, you know, mm. she was off the off the mark quicker than me. Um, and how, so having somebody who's passionate, who's spotted you, who's who's passionate about your book, and then having Neil, who completely got got it before, without even knowing about the Twitter thing, mm. um, that is so important because that really um, it's what pushes a book through. I think, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does, and that's the thing. And I, on my own podcast, I was I was speaking to Lisa Cohen recently mm. about the, and uh, she's one half of Tramp Press, Tramp Press one of the, amazing, one of yeah. the greatest sensations in in, in the Irish book world mm. in, in, of this decade. And uh, again, she was talking about the there's this whole um, sometimes books are kind of described as word of mouth hits, and yeah. you know these authors just being these things. And there's a there's a wonderful there's a huge team, and the reason we 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 which we 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 want, we want to write is we want to be part we want to meet quite all people because book people are the best people yeah. and the, the idea that say yes you can you can self publish a book on the internet or on on on, on one of those apps yeah. but then you you know you really want you want to you want to know what the inside of a publisher house looks like you want to walk in you want to meet people who you know who are, have all these things you want to get little notes written back saying I love this part yeah, and, yeah. or change this yeah yeah that's the that that's the joy of working with an editor I think isn't yeah. it yeah it is it's it's wonderful and it, it was wonderful to see actually that and. Um, and even I know from my weekly column and as well as from the books, you think, God, you know, sometimes they, they say, you get a note back and you, or you say that, why, why, I can't believe they didn't get this or I can't believe they changed my wonderful line. <laughs> but then you think, well, what about the four or five other things and they absolutely saved my bacon? Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, so absolutely there's not, not enough love for sub-editors and, uh, and editors and all the, all the other people in the different parts of the publishing process. It really is a huge process and there's a lot of people involved, definitely. Mm. That's fantastic. So just give us a plug here now for your podcast and your column and tell us where people can find you and repeat the name of the book properly. Okay, so <laughs> the books, the two books so far are Mother Folklore, Dispatches from Not So Dead Language and the sequel is Crack Baby, Dispatches from a Rising Language. Excellent. So the podcast is also called Mother Folklore. It comes out from Headstuff itself and um, comes out every Friday in the Headstuff Podcast Network. So it'd be very easy to find for people. Absolutely, spelled the same way and uh, and it's been, we've had a huge, huge growing following for that so that's been absolutely wonderful. And I write a column for the journal.e every Sunday. So that keeps people, that's gonna, there's loads of things there. People can listen, they can read, they can buy the book, which is the most, the most important thing ever. Yes. Um, and they can find out, hopefully they'll listen to this and they'll find out what goes into making that best-selling book. Just tell me very, very briefly, how long did it take you to write? I think now, so I think it, I, on one level I had all, I had the, the, a lot of the tweets and research done in the, mm. in the, in the kind of years beforehand. It was a, uh, and then, so I'd say, it, all in all, the I had a I had a final manuscript I, from from signing with Ed Zeus to the from, from signing with Sally Ann to getting the final manuscript in. I'd say that was six months. Yeah, so it's a good time, a good yeah. amount of time. Bearing in mind that you'd spent like how long years doing the doing building the podcast and I spent podcast yeah, the, the, the Twitter account. Yeah, yeah, so the Twitter account had been going for a year and a half at that point. Yeah. and and also yeah, so I was writing this, but I also had a new baby at this time. Indeed. This is important to bear in mind that obviously, but lots of writers out there, we all have things going on and it just shows you mm -hmm. that, and also you have a day job. Yes. We have to mention too. So, mm -hmm. um, so as well as the day job and the new baby, you managed to produce a book. Um, but what's very interesting is that despite all of those years and the background in linguistics and the fact that you'd done the degree and all of those things, you still 
took time to really put effort into the book and it took long it took six months is a fair amount a fair chunk of time so for anybody out there who thinks that they've got a blog and they can write a book in three weeks it's just not a thing no, not a chance. <laughs> that time is really important isn't it no it, the time is really important and you know it's i mean if you it's it's and you will need it it's, if you're in a relationship you'll you will need the support and acceptance and belief of your of your part of your partner whoever the person you're with because like there isn't enough there's a reason people dedicate books to their partners because you know <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's it's a hell of a thing in terms of just the there's there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of event you know um, parties that have to go to on their own because you won't be going with them yeah. there's um you'd be calling a lot of favors I uh, I I got my wife an an eternity ring after the first book so, oh that's lovely because you know. She she deserves it, mm. and so it's um, unfortunately it creates an expectation. Every book, <laughs> new ring now. Not a bad thing. I have a jewelry thing going on with books too. I buy myself a piece every time. Oh, you're dead right. So it's um, yeah. so yeah. When when the third book does come out, uh, or if if if, it's, if I'm lucky enough to get published a third time, because I take nothing for granted. I'm just so I'm grateful for everything that's happened so far. Everything else in publishing for now is, is just bonus. So. If the third book, if the book I'm working on now does get yeah, published again, yes. Yeah, so another present for my wife, who's puts up with an awful lot of things that when I'm when I'm writing, I could be tidying up, I could be cooking, I could be you know doing, doing. a million other things. Yeah, Indeed. so you, that these that definitely needs some recognition. Excellent. So that's I think that's a lovely place to finish. So dedication yeah. very important. Put in the time, put mm. in the effort, be the expert. Um, and just work really, really hard at it. Uh, but also discover your passion and, and use that passion to communicate to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but yeah, find the thing you're obsessed with. The thing you can't shut up about might be a thing you're good at writing about. Excellent. That's it. Nailed it on the head there. Thank you so much, Derek O'Shea, for joining me behind the bestseller. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so thank you out there for joining me for Behind the Bestseller. I'm Sam Blake, and we're here to unlock the secrets of bestselling books. Join me again soon to hear from more writers to find out what inspires them, what makes them tick, um, and how they work and how they achieve success. Uh, find more about me at Sam Blake Books on social and at samblakebooks.com. Find out more about writing at writing.ie. And if you need one-to-one help, check out inkwellwriters.ie. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.